Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. A story is told of a young monk who wants to meditate and grow in his spiritual life. He's a young disciple and he finds a teacher. The teacher is gathered around a group of his own disciples and those of his community that he's praying with. The young monk looks at this group and remembers how all of those individuals are not really living the fullness of their spiritual life. He sees those who are just simple and earthly. He sees those who are hypocrites, and he sees those who are sinners. He says to the teacher, I can walk on water. There is a lake nearby. Let us go and sit on the lake and pray. Well, the teacher says to him, if you are trying to get away from these people, well, then I have the power to fly into the air. And let us drift along the clouds together, and we will talk and pray. But the young man says, I can't do that. I don't have the power to fly. I only have the power to float. Right, the teacher says, your power is somewhat like the fish. My power is like the birds. But what difference does it make? These abilities have nothing to do with the spiritual, but they have to do with escaping into something that you are not. If we are going to talk and do spiritual things, let us do it here with these people. Meditation, we sometimes think of as a Buddhist practice of staring at basically at your belly button. We think of an Eastern religion where you're taught to go away, to hide yourself, to be on a mountaintop, and to empty yourself of all your thoughts and all your troubles. There are all kinds of meditation, not just one. In fact, all of us meditate. There are different ways to meditate. One is to empty yourself of all your thoughts and become completely still. There are other kinds of meditation that we're more familiar with, meditating on our worries, letting our worries engulf us, take over our mind. We meditate on our willpower, trying not to do the things that we know we shouldn't do all the time. And sometimes we meditate on evil things. The sins we would like to commit. The people we are upset with. The things that we don't like about God right now. In all of these ways we are meditating. Whether we empty ourselves, whether we focus on our willpower or our worries or on wicked things. But that's not Christian meditation. Christian meditation is spoken of in Isaiah 12. When Isaiah writes, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. 
For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, proclaim that his name is exalted. So Isaiah sees Christian meditation as drawing from a well. Not from within us, but from God. Which is why Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, Drink of this water that I will give you, and you will never thirst again. In Ezekiel, it wasn't drinking, but it was eating. He had to eat the scroll. He had to take the word into himself and into his belly to fill himself. At first, it was sweet to his tongue, but in his stomach, it was bitter because it revealed the agony of preaching to a people that wouldn't listen to him. Jesus said the same thing to his people when he said, I am the bread of life, and whoever eats of my flesh will live forever. But the people didn't want to hear. And so Christian meditation is showing us something different. It isn't escaping from your troubles. It's staying in your troubles. And it isn't emptying yourself, but it's filling yourself up. In Bible class, we've been going through the ten things to know when you're reading the Bible. And this is the tenth and last thing that I'll be presenting today in our sermon, and we'll be finishing up the other ones in Bible class. But the tenth thing is that the Bible is meditation literature. And what that means is that the Bible is meant to fill you up. It is meant to be received again and again, over and over, as we hear it, as we read it, as we pray it. And this is based on Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1 is showing us how to read the Bible. Why is Psalm 1 first among all the Psalms? So we've been looking at the context in which the Bible is put together. And we see that the Bible wasn't just dropped out of the sky, all bound together in the book we have it now. But it was given over 1,500 years in a process of God's continuing revelation to his people through prophets. And all of the Psalms didn't come together at one place either. So the Psalms is a collection of prayers of God's people inspired by the Holy Spirit. Why then, as the Psalms were collected, was Psalm 1 placed first when they were arranged? 
Psalm 1 was placed first because it teaches us the very first thing about reading the Psalms. It teaches us that the Psalms are about a life of prayer and meditation on God and his word that changes the way that we live in the world. We have a phrase, you are what you eat, which is true. As a metaphor, you are what you eat means you become what you consume. Through what you see, through what you hear, through what you touch, and through what you put into your mouth, you become what you consume. Spiritually, this psalm is teaching us that you become what you set your mind on what you meditate on. So what is going to be the difference between Christian meditation and the meditation of the wicked? We all meditate. Maybe we daydream in class or in church or on a ride through the car. We daydream and our mind drifts to things that we imagine in our minds. Now, some things can help direct our daydreaming, like music. Listening to a beautiful composition can direct your mind to beautiful things. Or a story can help you imagine and picture something that's very exciting or that fills you with courage. Or a commercial. Yes, marketing is based on meditation. Because they're appealing to your imagination, your feelings, But they're not always directing your thoughts to things that are good and beautiful. Instead, your mind can also drift to things that are bad for you, whether you recognize it or not. Meditation is directing your mind either to something you like or something you don't like. In a bad sense, sometimes we like things that are filled with greed or lust. In a good sense... Sometimes we focus on things we love and people we love and the God that we love. Or meditation can come from things you don't like, in a bad way, things you're afraid of, things you're angry about. In a good way, things you're zealous for, a cause for God, a cause for truth. The psalm says that the wicked meditate on things that are not good for them. And it isn't just once in a while. It's a process of continual thinking. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. If you're making notes in your Bible, you're going to underline some key words there. It's a progress from walking to standing to sitting. Someone is showing how it's not just about having a misstep, a mistake, an error, or a sin. But it's about becoming something that you're doing. A process of becoming. Because we all sin. We're all guilty of sin. But the Christian doesn't become the sins that he commits. This is the process of falling from faith. First, You walk. You walk in the counsel of the wicked, meaning that you begin to walk along with the thoughts that others are putting into your head, 
that are feeding you about what is right and wrong. But it's not coming from God. And as you entertain that thoughts, then you stand. You stand, which means you begin to hold fast to an idea that is not right. The way of the sinners. And finally, you sit. You take up the throne. The throne where the scoffers are. Which means you've moved from the counsel and thoughts of the wicked to a path of sinners, to a permanent place, a throne among those who are mocking and fighting against the Lord. That doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. It happens when we are tempted like Adam and Eve, and Eve moved from the time where she saw the fruit, where she pondered the fruit, and where she took the fruit. James speaks about this also. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So that's the process of becoming the things that you are setting your mind on. The way that sin doesn't just come in and afflict you, but it becomes who you are. On the other hand, the psalm shows us that Christian meditation is something different. It is setting the mind on Christ and his word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The word for law in this verse is the Hebrew word Torah. And all by itself, the word means to direct someone in the way they should go. It pictures a finger pointing. It's a teacher pointing to something, either pointing to something you should see or a point that he wants to make. Or it could be pointing a direction, a path, a way you should go. So Torah in the Old Testament is God's direction. God showing you the way you should go, what is good and delightful. It is all of his word. To this psalm, the law is all of God's word. So you'd want to note in your Bible that also says that law means direction and instruction for your life. And he delights in it. It is hard to think about this. It is so much easier to set our mind on things that we hate or things that are harmful. Our flesh just gravitates to it. But Christian meditation is allowing the heart to receive things that are good, that are lovely. It's like a love letter from a fiancé to the soldier who's away at war. And the soldier's gone away to fight the battle. And while he's there, so far away from the woman he loves, he receives a love letter. Now, we don't know as much about this today because we just get one text message and then another text message and then another text message. But they used to write love letters. And he takes that love letter in his pocket into battle. At night, he takes it out and he reads it again. 
He reads it again and he ponders and mulls over the words it's saying and what it means and pictures this woman he loves and that keeps him going when everything else is so ugly. The Bible is God's letter to us. It is telling in a broad sense a love story of God rescuing, redeeming, restoring his bride. What the psalm says is to meditate on that. And the word meditate means to mull it over. It's literally to murmur or to growl. Like a dog who's got his bone and he's just enjoying that bone and he doesn't want anyone else to come near it. It is to have the word near to us to turn it over again and again. And that's all of the scriptures from beginning to end and how they all connect and fit together. Day and night, the Bible is meant not just to be read once. God expects that you're not going to understand it, which is why meditation is reading and rereading to see how something in this psalm can connect to something in the New Testament. Like Jesus teaching Mary and Martha. When Jesus teaches Mary and Martha, Martha's off busy doing all this work, trying to get the house ready for Jesus, making a meal, cleaning up, setting the table, while Mary's at his feet. Now, what does Jesus fault Martha for? Does he fault Martha for the work she's doing? Does he fault her for being busy? What he faults her for is worry. It's not that she's wrong for being busy doing all these things to serve Jesus. Her problem is her mind is set on Mary, not Jesus. The reason Mary is the right example is not because she's constantly at Jesus' feet, but because her mind is set on Jesus. The one thing needful is to have our mind set on Jesus, and this psalm is directing us to Jesus. When we're praying, when we're walking, when we're working, when we're talking with fellow Christians, it's all about bringing it back to Jesus. Martin Luther talked about meditation in one of his writings. And he said, you should meditate not only in your heart, but also externally by actually repeating and comparing oral speech and literal words of the book, reading and rereading them with diligent attention and reflection so that you may see what the Holy Spirit means. For God will not give you his spirit without his word. So take care and take your cue from him. He commands you to write, preach, read, hear, sing, speak, etc. Outwardly, not in vain. So these are the truths that we're repeating to ourselves constantly. Jesus says in Matthew 28, I am with you always to the end of the age. That means that Jesus, when he rose from the dead and ascended to the Lord, did not just leave us behind. Meditation means he's with you. The risen Lord is truly with you in your heart, 
speaking to you, guiding you. John 6, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. So the words of Scripture are not just words, but they are alive. They give you the Spirit, and the Spirit gives you life. But it's all about His Word, knowing His Word, listening to it. And 1 John 4 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave him life, his life for us. That meditation is about the love of God. Not picturing a God who's constantly looking over your shoulder, who's ready to smack you when you reach out and do something wrong, but one who loves you always. And Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things Above, not on things of the earth. And put away all evil. Put off all malice and anger and evil speaking and lust. And put on Christ. And his kindness, his forgiveness, his continual goodness. Yes, this meditation changes the way that we think. It changes our whole self. So that we are like a tree, planted by streams of water, rooted down deeply, and yielding its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, in all that he does, he prospers. This planting of yourself in the soil is a contrast with the scoffers who have planted their seat, their throne, in scoffing. This is the good soil. Jesus says that some seed fell on bad soil, and some seed fell on good soil, and the good seed on the good soil took root. But it didn't happen overnight. He says it grew because it fell on a good heart that held fast to the seed with patience. In other words, this form of reading the Bible, meditating and growing, takes a long time. And it comes from an honest heart, where you're honest with yourself, you're honest with the Lord. It, you must... Hold fast to that. This means a long-term plan of abiding. In times of trouble, in times of persecution, and in times of darkness. Rather than imagining that the spiritual life is walking on water, so you can sit down out on the lake and have an enlightened spiritual conversation with another wise man. It means remaining in the middle of it all. In that community of people who have hypocrites in their midst, who have sinners in their midst, who have simple-minded people in their midst, who have a lot of different personalities, and staying there, abiding even in times of darkness. Jesus says, abide in me. 
Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. For every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down, is thrown into the fire. It's like the chaff that the wind drives away. The way of the wicked withers and fades. They don't produce anything that's of lasting value to others. But it's not that way with you. Abiding in Jesus will bear fruit. And why does a tree bear fruit? Does a tree bear fruit for itself? Does a tree eat its own fruit? Does a tree feed itself? No. The bearing of fruit is always for the good of others. It nourishes, it provides, and it gives to others. It produces more seeds that fall to the earth and become more trees, which become more fruit. It is producing something outside of itself, bringing its nurturing from inside and giving out. Therefore, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And this is the difference between the wicked and the righteous. What they meditate on. Psalm 2 goes on to continue this conversation because Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 go together. Psalm 2 shows us they plot, the same word for meditate. They plot and in anger they rage against the Lord and against his anointed. They try to cast off the Lord's chains. But the Lord says, I have set my king on Zion. And that is what God wants your mind focused on. Jesus' throne is established. He's risen. And God is announcing the judgment. Jesus is king. Psalm 1 teaches us then to live the Christian life of prayer. Is to read all the scriptures, all the devotions, all your preaching, all your study, and all your life. Remembering that they are testifying of Jesus. Amen.